wow, this is a church that says good morning to the preacher. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, Please keep that passage open in front of you. And if you haven't got it yet, please do yourself and do me a favor by looking for it, please. It's on page 573. Some of this uh, won't make sense, what I say in the next two and a half hours. If you don't, that was... That was a joke. Um, Some of it won't make sense if you don't have the passage open in front of you. So please, please have the passage open, page 573, because what's really important in these next few minutes is not what I say, but what the Bible says, because it's the Word of God. Wonderful. Thank you very much for letting me come. Uh, Sim said at the beginning, I'm from Above Bar Church, which is absolutely right, but I'm not on the staff team of Above Bar Church. My main job is something called the Mark Drama How many of you have seen the Mark drama? Thank you. I like you. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a confession to make about Psalm 51. And it's kind of like a secret, so please don't spread it all around Southampton and don't tell anyone in Above Bar. I've always had, I I, I realize Psalm 51 is a wonderful and great psalm and part of the Word of God, but I've never really liked it. I've always thought, I really don't get into this, I don't really get this. And in the last month or so, the Lord has completely changed my mind. I'm now very excited about Psalm 51. Uh, This has kind of changed my life. That's why I've called this psalm, this sermon this morning, a prayer which changes lives, because it's really changed my life and is changing my life. And I want us to look at it together. And my prayer for you and for me is that the Holy Spirit will use this psalm to change our lives too. I sense the excitement in the room. Um, Just have a look at uh, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that this psalm is about personal repentance. Let me read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is written by King David, and it's a prayer after he had sinned. And the, if you look at the, the heading under, the, under where it says Psalm 51, you'll see what happened. You probably know the story as well. Um, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And it's about uh, David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then arranging for the murder of her husband, Uriah. This is King David, a servant of God. A king whom God has appointed... Adultery and murder. And God sends a prophet to him who tells him a story and basically says very clearly to to David, God has seen what you have done. You are guilty. You are under God's judgment. And David's life falls apart. And David repents. And repentance means turning from your sin and saying to God, please forgive me, I want to be different. And this prayer is the prayer that David prayed after God pointed at David and said, you're the guilty one, you deserve to be judged. 
So verses 1 and 2, if you have a look at them, they're about personal repentance, and you can see that. Have a look at the end of verse 1, and in verse 2, there are three expressions there. Uh, David says, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. There we are, blot out, wash, and cleanse. He's saying, I'm dirty, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. That's repentance. And you see why David is hoping that God is going to answer his prayer. There are three expressions there in verse 1. They're incredibly important. Three things that David knows about God that that give him hope. Verse 1, God has mercy, God has love, and God has compassion. And because of that, David says, God, I've done all these things. I'm not going to cover them up anymore. It's true. I did the adultery. I did the murder. Please forgive me. This is personal repentance. And actually, all of us need that because all of us here this morning are sinners. I don't know lots of people in Portswood Church, but I do know this about you. You're a sinner because you're part of the human race. At least, I think, yeah, I think everybody here is part of the human race. And I am too, extraordinarily. And that means we're all sinners. We all sometimes live as if God didn't exist. We sometimes do our own thing. You may be thinking, I'm not as bad as David was with the adultery and the murder. That may be true. But stop comparing yourself with David and start comparing yourself with Jesus. We're all sinners. And if we take this prayer seriously, it can can change our lives. I better stop saying that and we'll get more into the psalm now. There are three things we need to tell God if we, if we want to be forgiven, if we want to come back to God, if we want to enjoy living in relationship with God. The first one, verses 3 to 6, I need to tell God what I'm like, what I'm like. Look down at verses 3 to 6. It's all about David telling God what he's like. It's David telling God that he's a sinner. And you might say, David, that's not really necessary. God knows anyway. That's why he uncovered your sin, your adultery, and your murder. But sometimes we kind of behave, we don't tell God what we're like sometimes. Sometimes we sort of put up a good front and we hope he doesn't notice really important that we tell God what we're like. He tells God, verse 3, that he is dirty. I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. He can't get that adultery and that murder and his other sins out of his head. It's always before him. He keeps thinking of it. He knows he's dirty. Then in verse 4, he says he's guilty. Look at verse 4. He says to God, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, that's just a Hebrew way of writing. That's not true, of course, literally, because he'd sinned against Bathsheba by sleeping with her. And he'd sinned against Uriah by organizing his murder. But this is a Hebrew way of saying, yeah, I've sinned against those other people too, God. But in the last analysis, the person I've sinned against more than anyone else, it's you. I'm guilty. 
And that's why the second half of verse 4 is there. So you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge. I am guilty. Do you ever say that to God? I think we get out of the habit of it. We need to tell God what we're like. And also he tells God that he's rotten. Let me explain what I mean by that. Look at verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sin from the, from the time my mother conceived me. That doesn't mean that David's saying his mother was a particularly bad person. What it means just is this. David is saying to God, I did not become a sinner when I got Bathsheba into my bed. I was a sinner when I was born. That's quite heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, when we see a newborn baby, we think, oh, beautiful and pure. I think a newborn baby is beautiful, although, yes, I think, you'd, I, I, I don't want, yes, beautiful. Uh, newborn babies are beautiful. They are. They, yes. We won't discuss this in small groups. <laughs> but actually, they're not pure. They're lovely. That's why we love them, but they're not pure. There is sin already there. That's what verse 4 says. And it's true, and if you want a New, New Testament verse to fit in with it, have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, when you get home. We are rotten. There is something in us that skews us. Please, that doesn't mean that we're only bad. Of course not. Look at verse 6. Uh, yet you, God, desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Of course there's good things about us. You're a wonderful, you're great, you're fantastic. There's lots of good things about you. The person next to you has some wonderful qualities. Just have a quick look and just be astonished. Yeah, it's great. But the person next to you is also a sinner. And we need to learn to say to God... Not just once, but often. I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm rotten. I need to tell God what I'm like. Do you do that? That's the first step. Verses 3 to 6. Tell God what you're like. Second thing I need to do, verses 7 to 12... I, I, I need to tell God what I want, what I want. I love this. The first thing that David wants from God is forgiveness. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So in verse 9 as well, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. This is David asking for forgiveness. And we've already seen this in verses 1 and 2, haven't we? He wants forgiveness. Now, I nearly put the heading here, what I need. And that would be true, except it wouldn't be as good as what I want. Everybody in the world needs forgiveness because we're all sinners and God is holy. But not everyone in the world wants forgiveness. Everyone in this room, downstairs and upstairs, needs forgiveness. But you may not want it. 
David wants forgiveness. He's crying out to God. He's saying to God, please wipe the slate clean. And do you remember the three words at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2? Three expressions, blot out, wash, and cleanse. They're here again in this block, but they're the other way round. Verse 7, cleanse, wash. Verse 9, blot out. It's the same prayer. Please forgive me. Please make me clean. Please set me free from the guilt of my sin. The first thing David wants is forgiveness. Second thing he wants, I think this is wonderful, although it was a surprise to me when I tried to get my head around this psalm, but I think it's terrific. The second thing David asks for here is he says, I want joy. Have a look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now, why is that there? I'll tell you why it's there. And this fits completely with my experience as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, and it may well fit with yours if you're a Christian too. Try this for size. When someone becomes a Christian, they're forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes into their life. And the Holy Spirit gives the Christian joy. He gives the Christian other things too, but the, the Holy Spirit gives us joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And there is joy there. Now, we've all got different personalities. Some people, their joy means they jump around and they dance and they sing and do things like that. Some of us are much more sort of sober in our joy, but it's still there. We feel something. Every Christian at some point is feeling joy that they've been forgiven and accepted by God through what Jesus did. Every Christian feels that. If you've never felt joy about that, that... It may be that you're not a real Christian, but it's not for me to judge. But every Christian experiences joy. But what happens to the joy when you choose to sin? It disappears. After you've, after you've sinned, you feel flat. You feel empty. Doesn't it not fit with you? A few nods would be wonderful if it's true. But I may be the only person in the room who experiences this. I think this is very common. I just feel flattened down. And the reason for that is not that the Holy Spirit leaves us. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave. We, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, as Christians, we do not need to pray verse 11. Verse 11, David says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. We don't need to say to God, please don't take your Holy Spirit away. If you're a Christian believer, you've turned from your sins, you've put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you now and he will never leave you. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. It's part of the promise about the new covenant. The promise of what Jesus was going to bring is that the Holy Spirit would live in us. If you want some verses to write down, write down Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. And write down Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. The Holy Spirit is living in you. He will never leave. But the joy goes because, this is a New Testament expression coming up now, When we sin, we grieve the Spirit. We make him sad. 
Because, of course, he lives in us. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. He wants us to bring joy to Jesus. So when we choose sin, we grieve him, we make him sad, and our joy goes. I think if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. That's why the New Testament says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because something that happens when you grieve the Holy Spirit is that the joy goes. The principle is very simple, but it's incredibly important, and it's absolutely what I experience. If you choose sin, you lose joy. So what do we need to do? When we've sinned, when we've chosen sin, either deliberately or we've just sinned and we know we've messed up, we need to ask for forgiveness. And then we need to ask for our joy back. It's the most natural thing to do. It's what God wants to give us. I've gone through years as a Christian asking for forgiveness for my sins, but I'm not asking for my joy back. That doesn't mean I've never got joy back. God is very generous. But it's just so great to say, please give me my joy back. That's what David says here in verse 8. And it's what he says here in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I have to smile when I look at the beginning of verse 12. If I'd written verse 12, I'd have written, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. But David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's your salvation. It's your gift. It's, your, it's what you've done for me, God. It's what you've given to me. I've got the salvation. Now give, please give me back the joy. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you've asked him for forgiveness for something, but you're feeling a bit flat, you could even be asking for joy at this moment. Just lift your heart. Don't do it out loud. But you could be talking to Jesus now and saying, Lord, please give me back my joy. Please give me back the joy of your salvation. This place can be full of prayer. So what does David want? He wants forgiveness. He wants joy. And the third thing he wants, you can, t- you can work out what the third thing is without even looking at the Bible. This is logical. What's the third thing he's going to ask for? After he's received forgiveness for his sin, and after God's giving him his joy back, what's he going to ask for? He's going to be asking for power so that he doesn't mess up again. Duh. It's pretty obvious. Have a look. Um, Verse uh, 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, the second half. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Give me power so I don't do it again. Because Bathsheba was still around. The sins, the offers are there. The temptations are still there. And all of us have had the experience, I think we have, of we sin in some way and we know it's wrong and we ask God for forgiveness, but we're weak. It's a, it's a weak area. There's something here that we're particularly weak at and it can happen again and again and again. And sometimes it does. And we can always go back and ask for forgiveness and joy, but we need to be asking for power too, don't we? 
Because the Holy Spirit wants to help us so that we don't keep doing the same stuff. You can be asking for help now. And if you are struggling with one particular sin that always seems to be stronger than you, don't beat yourself up about it. That's very common. It may be a help to talk to another Christian, someone that you trust. Someone you trust, not someone who says, Oh, I'll write about an email about this to all the church. That's great. I'll tell everybody. Blah. No, someone you trust who's going to say, I'll pray for you. And I'll, maybe I'll ask you every few weeks, how are you getting on? It can be a real help to have someone to share that with. But first and foremost, we need to ask God for power so that we don't keep messing up. What I'm like, I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm rotten. What I want, forgiveness, joy, and power. You talking to God? It is possible to do two things at once. It would be wonderful if at the same time as you were listening to me, you were also praying. Not just, Lord, please stop him. That's a guilty laugh. But you can be saying, Lord, I want forgiveness. I want joy. I want power. But there's a third thing we need to do. The third thing that will, that will make our relationship with God alive so that we enjoy being Christians. Thirdly, in verses 13 to 17, we need to tell God what I'll do. What I'll do. This is what David's doing in these verses. He's telling God what he's going to do when God gives him forgiveness. You can tell that if you look at the, the first word of verse 13. You see, in verses 7 to 12, he's been asking for these things, forgiveness, joy, and power. And then the beginning of verse 13 is, then, in other words, this is what I'm going to do. When you've given me these things, this is what I'm going to do. I think this is so practical and so exciting. Here's the first thing, is in verse 13. He says to God, I will witness. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I'll tell other people how great it is to be forgiven. That doesn't mean standing up in the street and preaching a one-hour sermon. But when there's an opportunity, I'm going to say it's just great to be forgiven because of what Jesus did. Or if someone says to you, why do you, go, why do you bother going to Portswood Church? Oh, the, the really exciting thing for me is that I know I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did. I'll witness. I'll take the opportunity just to tell people what God has done for me. It's the first thing I'll do. Second thing, um, he says, I will worship. I'll worship. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, you who are God my saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I'll start singing, Lord. That's what verse 15 is about. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Worship and singing are not an optional extra for Christians. Worship and singing are the inevitable consequence of knowing you're forgiven. It is so amazing to be loved. I remember when I was in love in my mid-twenties with someone called Rosemary, and she was fantastic. And, um, I, but I didn't pluck up the courage to say anything. I, I was sort of too nervous about it. 
being a sort of shy and retiring individual. That actually wasn't a joke. But anyway, um, so, but one day, after I'd known her for about a year, we're talking, and I said to her, Rosemary, I, 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 th- I, I want to, um, you, I, I, it, we, I, I've been thinking, I, I mean, it would, I, um, and she was looking a bit puzzled as to what this was about. And then I finally managed to say, I think you're wonderful. I think you're just great. Can we go out? And she looked astonished and she said, I think you're great too. So I thought, my goodness, she's not just beautiful, she has good taste as well. (laughs) And it was just so amazing. Now I had to go home and she had to go home. I'm walking to the tube station. We're in London and I'd, I'd heard in a song, I think it's in My Fair Lady, that if you, if you know that somebody loves you, your, your feet don't touch the ground. And I'd already thought, always thought, sentimental tosh. So I'm walking to the tube station. I really could not feel the pavement under my feet. I'd also heard that if you know somebody loves you, you want to tell complete strangers about it. You're so excited about it. There was this policeman next to the tube station... No, I didn't tell the policeman, but I wanted to. Now, imagine, or think back, how amazing it is to know that God loves you so much that he's forgiven you, he's giving you joy, he's giving you power. So you want to thank him and you want to tell others. That's witnessing and worship. Wow, how exciting is that? And there's a third thing David says he's going to do. Um, it's um, in verses 16 and 17. He says in verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice, so I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Hey, this is another Hebrew way of writing. This does not mean that David is saying to God, You don't like the sacrificial system. For goodness sake, God invented the sacrificial system. No, this is a Hebrew way of saying... If it's only the outward sacrifices, you're not interested if the heart is not in it. And so he says in verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. In other words, the third thing he's going to do, he's saying to God, I'll witness, I'll worship, and thirdly, I'll keep repenting. I'll keep repenting. Verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Repentance is not just something for day one of being a Christian. It's something for every day. All of us in this room need to repent today. Because sometimes we live as if God wasn't there. So we need to keep repenting. And I've been using this this psalm a lot in the last few weeks, uh, not necessarily turning it up, but just remembering these three things, what I'm like, what I want, and what I'll do. And I've been praying through them. What I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm dirty, and I'm guilty, and I'm rotten. And I've been talking to God about some of the stuff I've been doing, some of the attitudes, some of the things I've said to people. And then I've been telling God what I want. I've been asking for forgiveness. I've been asking for my joy back. And I've been asking for power. And then I've been telling God what I'll do. I'll witness and I'll worship and I'll keep repenting. 
God, please give me a heart that keeps repenting. Give me a heart that is a really a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Keep helping me to repent. And it works. And I've been experiencing more joy in these past few weeks than I normally do. And some of you are sitting there thinking, really, is that what you look like when you're experiencing more joy? And repentance is not something you do just as an individual, although it starts there. It's also a community thing, which is what verses 18 and 19 are about. They're about community repentance. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David is saying, I want to be part of a community of repentance where we're, we're together, we acknowledge that we're sinners, but we're asking God for forgiveness. And you notice at the, near the beginning of verse 19, he talks about the sacrifices of the righteous. The righteous are not the goody-goodies. Let me tell you who the righteous are. The righteous person is the person who tells God what they're like, who tells God what they want, and who tells God what they'll do. Just before we stop, let me ask David a question. If there are any Davids here, they're getting really nervous. I'm talking about King David who wrote the psalm. David... You ask God for forgiveness in this psalm for this uh, adultery and for this murder. Why do you think God was able to forgive you? And David would probably say, well, haven't you read the first, the first two verses or the first verse? It's very clear why I, why, I, why I think God can forgive me. God has mercy, he has love, and he has compassion. And I could say, oh, David, I know that's why God wants to forgive you, but how is it possible for a just and a righteous and a holy God to wipe away your sins? These sins have to be punished. A holy God must punish sin. I don't think David would have had an answer to that. Because he knew in the end the death of animals wasn't going to solve the problem. But we have an answer. Lots of us in this room are thinking of it now. The reason God can forgive us our sins is because somebody else came who didn't have any sins of his own and was willing to take our sins onto his shoulders and take the punishment instead of us. Jesus. So who took the punishment for David's adultery with Bathsheba? Jesus did. Who took the punishment for David organizing Uriah's murder? Jesus did. Who took the punishment for our sins? Let's pray together. Let's just have a brief silence. You might even want to look up at the screen at those three headings there. And just in the silence, 
Not out loud, please. Just in the silence, you might want to pray and turn these things into prayer. So just a, it'll be a very brief silence and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's come to God in the silence.